What do you do when you're facing challenges to remember that God is all there is? How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Hi, and welcome to Say Yes to Spirit. So glad you decided to join us and say yes to spirit with us today. My name is Tracy, and Leslie will be joining us in just a minute. And uh, we always like to give a little bit of the story behind Say Yes to Spirit. Uh, About three and a half years ago, Leslie and I were having a conversation about what we might do together. And one of the places we had uh, some commonality was this um, commitment to living life in a way that really recognized God, that there was God in in every moment of every day. We just don't always stop and look around, notice, appreciate, or respond to that presence. And so we decided that we would do a uh, internet radio show together. And in true fashion, if you know us, you know this is true. And if you don't know us, this is one of the things that makes the show so interesting. So in true Tracy and Leslie fashion, Tracy says, okay, yeah, let's do that. And Tracy's thinking about, okay, we need to put a plan together and a schedule and a timeline and get it on the calendar and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we could start doing that in about four to six weeks. And I say to Leslie, what, like, when do you think we should start? And she says, how about Monday? Well, that was great, except that we were having this conversation on a Friday. And so um, that gives you a little bit of a sense of uh, why this show is so interesting, because we're very, very, very different. Spontaneous, is that what you mean? You would be spontaneous, and I would be a planner. You would be different. <laughs> so um, that's a little bit about how the uh, show got started. And um, every week we pick a theme, or we don't always pick a theme. We make a list of themes and write, list them and schedule them, and then on Saturday morning or Monday morning or Friday afternoon, whenever we're doing the show, we go, oh, that was a good idea six weeks ago when we put, when we scheduled it, but what the heck are we going to talk about? Spirit had an idea. Exactly. So today's spirit's idea is the theme of winter. Mm. The theme of winter. And um, mm. it was a good idea at the time, and mm. actually there's a lot of places to go with that. A lot of metaphysical stuff. Exactly. So that's our theme for today, and before we get into our theme, we always uh, honor our tradition <laughs> of connecting the dots, connecting the dots of our theme today with our most recent theme, which was Thanksgiving. Mm. You know, that's an easy one, isn't it, since Thanksgiving winter 
Thanksgiving falls in winter. But there's a uh, interesting kind of idea. Thanksgiving falls in fall. Does it fall in winter? It's not winter? Oh, I think it's winter. It's like winter, yeah. It just it's not winter. Like, it's not winter until December twenty third. winter. It's not winter until Thanksgiving. Oh. Well, it feels like winter. Okay, so, so I'm sticking with it. But I had another interesting idea, though. The idea of um, because I know one of the things we'll talk about with winter, the uh, metaphysical idea of the follow or the dark night of the soul, and the idea of giving Thanksgiving before that happens which is a really interesting twist, I think, that uh, to be in a state of thankfulness that something really dramatically bad might be happening and that it's going to become, you know, that it's all working towards the good. That is a very deep connected us. And I might be the only one that gets it, but I think, you know, because I get it, as they say in 12-step programs, one is enough. That's what they say before you tell your story in a 12-step program. Even if just one person gets something out of your story, then that's enough. And by telling your story, you're going to get something out of it. So it's automatically enough. Should I stop talking now? Okay. That's it. Okay, that's it. What a great connect the dots. Thank you. Deep, deep. And we're going to take a break, and uh, then we'll be back to talk about winter on Say Yes to Spirit. And Leslie, are you are you laughing at your own name and your own show there, Trace? Yeah, like where, <laughs> where am I? I and what am I doing today? Oriented to time and place. Yeah, what's our thing today? Winter. Winter. Talk. <laughs> okay, what did we say about winter when we wrote this? What do you love about winter? Mm. What is the spiritual significance of winter? Mm. How role, which should be, what role does winter play in the cycle of spiritual seasons of your life? Mm. So start there. Is that, uh, would that be the equivalent of the dark night of the soul idea? Well, so, you know, 
Dark Night of the Soul feels dramatic. It is. And don't, they talk a lot about that in metaphysics stuff. And, not but, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. winter doesn't have to be dramatic. Winter is just that fallow time mm-hmm. where whatever is happening is happening like with plants, it's happening underground, under the snow and ice, underneath all of that, where it looks on the surface like nothing is happening. So it doesn't have to be dramatic and bad, although you would go to it has to be bad and dramatic. It just means it looks like there's nothing happening in the winter because whatever is going on is going on beneath the surface to grow and to replenish itself. And then in the spring, it pops up out of the ground and you have the little blossoms and the new is ready. Mm-hmm. So I can see how someone might think the dark night of the soul. But see, there's a lot happening. There's a lot of drama there. There's a lot of pain and sorrow and confusion happening in dark night of the soul. And that's not necessarily winter. You know, it's interesting. I don't remember. It had to be four or five years ago, I guess, now, that I went to a talk that Reverend Petra did at the Center for Spiritual Living Dallas. And she brought that concept out in terms of having the seasons, you know, representing, as you had just said in that intro, the, the kind of our spiritual, spiritual cycle. cycles. And she... Um, was the one that brought out this concept of having winter being the dark night of the soul, or you know when things are yeah, going really dramatically blizzard. bad. Right. It's the it's the <laughs> ice blizzard where you can't see, you know, even three feet in front of you, and it's cold, and you the wind is blowing at, you know, ridiculous force, and yeah, that that happens in winter too. Mm-hmm. But. It's not the only way to think of winter. No, 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 no. Certainly not the only way. But it's a, it's an interesting ponder. And in that sense, what it reminds me of more is, so you know how we live in Texas, and so when we have a particularly mild winter, and the, uh, and the bugs and stuff and the don't get killed off you know, because it didn't get cold enough. Hallelujah. Yeah, see. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then they're next by the next summer they're like, you know, quadruple size because they've had an extra year to to live. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, how on the reverse, when it is a really, really cold winter and we have eight freezes. And there and there's concern because you know you've kind of frozen out. Well, it's not concern. There's joy that everything that needed to quote unquote die get killed, and that's what Dark Night of the Soul is, right? It's like it's so much drama that you that everything that needs to get killed gets killed. You hit rock bottom so that you can bloom new. No, huh? <laughs> no, I'm just waiting. Well, no, so that, I mean, in that sense, the drama of Dark Night of the Soul is like the the blizzard or the worst winters where everything that needs to die dies so that you can have fresh growth. 
Right, that the spring brings that fresh growth. But I, I do think it's kind of interesting, the concept of um, this idea of having Thanksgiving or fall or something kind of preceding the dark night of the soul, that there's um, method to the madness, so to speak. Because I think many times uh, when we're in the dark night of the soul, that's all that's all I see is the dark night of the soul. And if I look at it from a wider perspective, you know, those cycles are really significant in terms of understanding that there is usually, actually, when I look at it, um, sort of a preparation time for that dark night of the soul, even if I don't even understand it's happening. Um, I had an event earlier this week, this month, where I had a, a message to call someone, to call an old spiritual teacher I had, before I really understood why I was calling. And so it was like there was preparation for something about to happen that I didn't even understand what was happening. And then the sort of the cycle of the spiritual, when I'm aware of it, it like it's all kind of taking care of itself in a cycle. And if I can sort of not get caught up in my, like you said, my lovely tendency to get very dramatic and very overwhelmed and very, it's all dark, where'd he go? Um, but kind of, you know, keeps that one little toe outside of the of the muck. Um, it is an interesting thing to watch the cycles happen. And, you know, a cycle can happen for me in, I don't know, 38 seconds. I think it's my all-time record. I can go all through the cycles. <laughs> Through all of the and then, uh, and uh, but the but the dark night of the soul, the fallow time, all the metaphysical metaphysical reasons of the winter, um, you know, as you were saying earlier, the growth that's happening underground isn't that the the highest growing time, the highest rooting time is that time. Rooting time, absolutely. I mean, that's the that's when the real ground can happen happens. when there's so much else going on it has to go deeper and deeper and that it serves a, a main purpose mm-hmm. you know we have a, we have the shorter cycle that does a similar thing just from sunrise to sunrise you know having mm-hmm. sunrise going through the morning going through the afternoon quieting into the evening and then the the deep, deep quiet of night mm. before the sunrise again. Isn't really that funny? Every, I never thought about that. Yeah, every day we have that. We have the same cycle of four mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, available to us. I mean, it's happening, mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily use it mm-hmm. in that way, or even think about it in that way. That we have, if we looked at our days in four quarters. You know, that we have mm-hmm. sunrise mm-hmm. and then the first half of the day, the second half of the day, and the night, so. And there is a lot to be said to kind of embrace that, the seasons of it, mm-hmm. the shifting of it. So um, winter and the fallow and the fallow, is that how you say it? Fallow, fallow, fallow. And the growing that's going on underneath it is that? Are you suggesting that doesn't have to be painful? I am. Oh wow, 
That's an interesting concept. <laughs> I know that's really difficult for you to imagine. That well, if it's in, if it's if it's growth worth growing, growth worth having, then it must be work really hard, gut wrenching. Yeah. yeah, but that, you can believe that. I you know you have complete permission to believe that. I just don't. <laughs> As Oprah would say, you can grow from joy. Yeah, my Oprah. I, 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 I absolutely believe that, and I'm so glad in her Aquarian wisdom that she is. Ah, she is that. an Aquarius? Yes, she is. You know, it's a, it is an interesting concept. I was going to write a book one time that the, the title was going to be called Don't Wait to Be Diagnosed. Don't wait to know you're dying before you learn to live. Mm-hmm. Because we do sort of, you know, get into that crisis mode, and then that's when we find the real joy once we get into crisis, so how to how to find that joy and that peace of mind and that all that's available to us all the time before we get some sort of horrible, horrible thing happen. I wish you would write that book. You like that book? I like that title. I like that title. And uh, I think more and more people need to, would benefit, not so much need to, but would benefit from being encouraged to shift their outlook. <laughs> You know, I just in the last couple of weeks, I've talked to three people who um, either they personally have just received a very serious diagnosis oh, wow. or someone they love, someone they're very close to. And it is interesting that as much as we talk about it, mm-hmm. about how life is important and live mm-hmm. every day to the fullest mm-hmm. and there is an element mm-hmm. that is that starts with fear and then moves, if we're lucky and focused, we, it moves into commitment and refocus. But, you know, it starts with fear, I'm going to die, or my loved one is going to die, and then refocuses to I get to choose how I live my life, whether I have one month to live or one decade to live or 80 years ahead of me. I really have to choose. I'm not a victim here. I don't I don't have to let other people define the quality of my life. Now, I've had that conversation with three people in mm. the last couple of weeks. Wow. And, you know, not not telling them that, but listening while they get to that place. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we know that. It's not news. But in terms of actually living it, what a concept. Live what I believe. What a concept. Oh, huh? Yeah, sometimes it seems the people who really get that and live what they believe are the people who... Um, cre- seem to create more chaos, but they're just living what they believe, um, and they live it so fully. The rest of us kind of become victims to it. And so I'm specifically thinking about, you know, so we have terrorists who live what they believe. Mm-hmm. They live what they believe. They do not get distracted. They do not take a vacation. They wake up every day being focused on this is what I believe and I'm going to do what I need to do to make the world comply with what I believe. 
not into the, there you know, is commitment there, isn't there? Right. Mm-hmm. There's not, and it's not so much the, um, you know, that I'm going to make the world believe like I'm hurting people. They're really their mindset seems to be, what do I need to do to send the broader message so that will make people understand and believe, or and or respect this that I know that I know is so true. And while the most, most of us are just kind of going through the motion of whatever schedule has become our schedule, and we're not waking up every morning saying, I believe in the power and the presence of God, and I believe that God is love, and what am I going to do today to make sure that the world knows that God is love? Right. We don't even wake up in the morning, many of us, and say, what am I going to do today that proves that I know God is love, that demonstrates to the world, I believe that God is love and so I am love. We don't, many of us don't consciously even think about that commitment for ourselves, let alone how we can influence the world. And how that would be different if we did and working with women in the jail, it is really an interesting um, slice of life because they don't have any outside things pulling at them. They are stopped by human terms. There's nothing really going on. There's no deadlines to meet. There's no children to feed. There's no money to make. And so it is a golden opportunity to really just sit and understand and see how my choice for my day makes my day. You know, in my mind, my mind is going to take me into why didn't I go to court? Where's my husband? What's my children doing without me? My mind can take me to all those horrible places and I can lose my day in panic and anxiety. Or I can look at how did I get here? What can I do differently with my mind today so that my tomorrow is different? How can I write a letter? How can I outreach? How can I help somebody sitting next to me? How can I shift my thinking from, oh, it's never going to get any better, to, you know, right this moment, I can make it better. And it's a really fascinating thing. And I think I said this last week or a few weeks ago, but I can see myself in the the array of how they each choose. And you knew you could watch the ones that choose act a certain way when the staff is there. Mm-hmm. That's a fabulous. And I'm, you know, I definitely do that. You know, when somebody, when the neighbors are watching, I look pretty good. I can, I can, I can dress up pretty nice. But when nobody's watching, you know, I can spin around pretty, pretty crazy. So I can totally relate to those women that, you know, act as if they're working their program. And, um, and then, you know, those that just are really pretty obvious, not working their program. <laughs> And uh, don't really care to put on a show, and uh, and then those that you know really genuinely are doing it. So, but it's a fascinating thing. They all have very the exact same external circumstance, and you know how they respond to it is it's very different and kind of fun to watch. And we all do it. It's just yeah, we all do it every every day at work or with our family or. You know, even living alone, I think I I live alone. I don't have any biological family living in the same city. And I do it to myself. Like, <laughs> you know, there's nobody really watching. 
but am I consistent? Mm-hmm. Am I living the same message at home right. as I do when I go to church or when I go to the center or when I go shopping or when I go roller skating? And um, and when, I, when I'm not in a total alignment, like how does that show up? So, you know, being aware of that, it's like, okay, I'm in the, what part of the cycle am I in right mm-hmm. now in my life? So the weather and the dates on the calendar may say it's spring or summer, winter or fall, mm-hmm. but from a metaphysical sense in my life, what mm-hmm. season am I in? Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a really um, interesting question to ponder. And as I said, I can go through all four seasons in 38 seconds. So there you go. So it's, it's, uh, you have to keep up. You have to keep up with me. How fast I can shift. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm a little distracted because I'm thinking about that. and um, Thinking about what season you're in? Yeah, like what season are you in in my life? And I'm not sure. I think... That's your... Today, in this moment, what season are you in? Well, yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) That's what I mean. What season of my life am I in right now? You know, I think because I um, have a big birthday coming up in a couple of months, and so there, it actually, for what I was just thinking about was, is that like spring because of the new? Mm-hmm. But I think it's almost like it's spring now, the, like the buds, because I'm getting excited about, about, you know, this new decade coming. And I think so. Yes, and this fabulous season. Yes. And so I think. I'm preparing for summer because summer is like, you know, the the buds have sprouted and, you know, things are full and there's lots of activity and this. So I think I'm in spring because I have all ah. these new ideas and I'm actually beginning to, and it's not just about the birthday, it's mm-hmm. about what my life is becoming, you know, and what my life will become over the next five years, the next into the next decade of life, and, and getting, like, some ideas of that. And that's kind of like when the flower pops through the soil and, it, you know, it hasn't bloomed yet, but you're beginning to see what it's going to be like and it is growing and it's coming to life. And then when it blooms, it's like, yeah, that's fabulous. So it feels like like early spring, and maybe by the time my birthday comes, in, from a life cycle point of view, it'll be, you know, the full part of spring, right the end of spring and the beginning of summer. Mm. And that makes sense also because if we go backwards from that, winter, kind of being underground, being that quiet time, and even a little bit of your dark night of the soul. Oh, look, even you, Trace. No, just you, giving that you, to you. Is it that? Like it's, oh, for, there has been some sense of that. Like 
what's happening, and it's been happening under the surface, mm. and sometimes with me even being blind to it, and it's like it, it does feel it's been preparation to go into this mm-hmm. new phase, and I just needed to kind of sit still for a little bit mm-hmm. so that I could even begin to imagine what my 60s will be like or what I would like for my 60s to be like. And, um, yeah, so this winter piece is resonating with me in a very different way, not so much by the calendar on the year, but, uh, you know, the last year or so of my life hasn't felt terrible. It's just felt kind of like nothing really exciting is happening. It's a little bit of a struggle. And when it's not a struggle, it's just kind of boring. (laughs) You know what I mean? Even though I'm doing things that I really like to do, it's kind of like what's it it mean? Mm -hmm. Or it was more like the end Mm -hmm. than... um, yeah, like there was a big harvest, fall, and now you're just coasting on that harvest, which is what what in the in the agricultural times, right? They would gather all the crops and put them away in the storehouse or, or whatever way in the barn, and then that's what you would live off of all winter because it was too cold to go outside, nothing was growing, and you had to live off of all that you harvested for that whole season mm-hmm. until the plants started blooming and blossoming. Blossom, blossoming. I like that. Blossoming. I like that too. Blossoming and blooming and growing again. And that is what my life's been like for a while. I've been just coasting, not really coasting, but, yeah, coasting is a good word, or mining all that had been invested before. You know, there's a metaphysical idea there that you brought up in terms of shoring up, you know, putting all the food away for the winter. Kind of, again, I'm just really curious today about this idea that, you know, spirit has all of that worked out, has all that food put back. There's not ever going to be a lack. There's not ever going to be a want. There's not ever going to be a need that hasn't already been worked out. And the idea that I, you know, get caught up in this, there's no food, we're going to die, it's so cold. (laughs) Where did God go? Yeah. He has to look a different direction, and there's the food, there's the sticks to make the fire. Everything that is needed, everything that is required because there is no nothing that is needed that hasn't already been that is not provided for. Right. But yeah, everything that is required. Yeah. And I love that your life has really you're so organized in your seasons, Tracy. It's very impressive. You could track back the last three years and you can see how they just are gently moving from one into the next. And yeah. you're you have this on the horizon, the summer that's coming. <laughs> Can we go yes. back to 38 seconds? I oh, can do the whole cycle. That's, <laughs> that's a whole other way of living. That's when I step back and look at the big picture. 38 seconds. 
Bam! But there are days when, yeah, it's all four seasons, and the longest one does seem to be either the spring rainy season, <laughs> the rainy spring season, or the, you know, here in Texas, spring has uh, tornadoes. Yeah. Yeah. So the tornado yeah. season, spring can be the tornado season as much as it can be the season of cute little tulips popping through the soil. <laughs> I have had my um, baseball, softball-sized hail and water pouring through the elect the light sockets because the wow tornado tornadic force winds and the hail broke holes into my beautiful tile roof on my house and the elements came in. So, you know, it's like every season has its up and down side, and I have been through those seasons in the same day. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the kind of the, I guess, the, hmm, you know, the soft spot or the sweet spot or the nuance of life is when to push that, look for the good. I'll never forget a minister who will remain unnamed. In uh, my life, I witnessed uh, a woman, I, I I don't recall what exactly had happened, but one of the church members had gone through somebody had died. I don't remember who it was, but they were up at the church and they were grieving and getting support from different people. And a minister walked up to her and said, as she reached out to hug her, you've got to look for the good. And I thought this sweet little girl was going to hit her. <laughs> I thought that might be the end of that, 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 that. So, you know, there is a, there's a sweet spot <laughs> to help somebody look for the good. You know, and I, um, and I think the spiritual maturity, the more spiritually mature I am, the shorter that time from tragic to look for the good is, you know, and I think that's a good reflection for me, you know, in terms of some days I can see it right away, some days, you know, it takes months or years, and some days I will hit you if you say look for the good before I'm ready to hear that. So it's a mirror to me of how I'm doing spiritually by how willing and how quickly I look for the good in all situations. That's a really, really good point, and I find, I find for me, I, I have to be really careful about that, especially because you're that minister. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and I see how it could, how I could be. Mm. And, you know, it's like for just human nature, all of us, we tend to think and process how it would be if we were in that situation, right? And so even though I can be very compassionate, at the same time there are certain things that trigger me that don't that don't trigger me that might trigger someone else. So someone could be, like I can imagine, I'll use you, uh, you and me as an example. Oh, I think that's so much fun when you do that. Because it's Cause a hypothetical. You, pres- you presume to know my side so well. Go ahead, yes. 
<laughs> well, you can correct me. That's why I can use you as an example because this happened before. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you said, no, you're wrong on that uh-huh. one. Uh-huh. But so, so, so there was a point where you had... Oh, it gets to be my example of my issue. Okay, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm excited. No, it's my example. It's my it's, issue. Anticipation you had building. a situation with a kitty who, like, went away oh. and couldn't be found, and you were, like, that would very be my distraught. Situation. That would be my situation. You you were very distraught. But, no, it's my situation <laughs> that that was I very much wanted to say, it's a cat, Leslie. It's just a cat, Leslie. Oh. Right? Now, I did Straight to hell. You go straight to hell. All right. I knew better. Uh-huh. I knew That's this right. was a time to That's be it. compassionate. <laughs> this was a time to... You're making that sound so hard. It's hard for me. <laughs> it was hard for me. Because I was like, really, Leslie? Really? Oh, wow. Practitioner Tracy. But I, was a pra- I put on my practitioner... And, mm-hmm. but if I hadn't been monitoring, you know, from a spiritual <laughs> right. perspective, right. Right. it would have been easy for me to say, look for the good in this, or something, you know, trite like that, not meaning it as a cliche, mm-hmm. really meaning it. But you're right. It's like you weren't ready to hear that. Right. You couldn't take that in at that moment. Like that. That's right. Where you were distraught about this cat. Right. And it's so, it's that line of how do you reach out and support people mm-hmm. when you're not inside them, you don't really know. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, I, I try to, I try to remember to basically ask questions mm-hmm. and let that person kind of walk them, guide that person to walk themselves through to the next highest level mm-hmm. on the ladder of emotional freedom. <laughs> right. But I don't always remember. I don't. I don't always remember. And things come out. Is it? Come on, that's very cute. <laughs> uh, it is a powerful moment when the women in the jail get that get to that space where they see being in jail is the best thing that could be happening right now for me. Yes. And that is really, you know, metaphysically and spiritually and all things, you know, that's just a big old hallelujah moment because when you can see this worst possible thing in your mind as the best thing and the thing that, you know, spirit is working with to get you through something, that, that is an amazing and if you can hold Wisdom. on to that. Right. If this is going to work out. Yeah, that moment be of aha is powerful. And then if a week later you're still like, no, really, this is the best, this is the best thing, and right. I get to choose how to redesign my life from here. Every moment. Right. Right. <clears throat> and it is a moment-to-moment, you know, re, rebuilding, reconnecting. And it... You know, this loop and this idea of this onion and that you do the same thing over and over again, and, you know, at a deeper level and that the lessons, you know, kind of get louder until I learn them. And uh, all of that has kind of played out in my life recently and I really, you know, how many times, 
You know, how many times do I have to go through this loop? And every time that I go through it, I think, surely this has got to be the last time. And um, but then I'll I'll uh, disengage from the persistent, consistent practice that keeps it keeps me out of that loop. You know, it's not it's not just by happenstance that I stop meditating or that I don't do my spiritual practice or that I don't do my reading or I don't do whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not walking. I'm not doing whatever that thing is for me. You know, it's not by happenstance that then, you know, the the, the wheels start falling off the cart, you know. <laughs> and suddenly I'm, you know, without any wheels. And I'm wondering, okay. how did that happen again? Why? Why me, God? Why me? And, uh, you know, to be able to look back and say, ah, Ah, me, oh, so me, oh, that's me, oh, that's why me, oh, definitely me, oh, yeah, that was me, that was me then, too, oh, that was me not doing, yeah, that's me, okay, now. And I know what I need to do to keep myself where I want to be. And there is a line, I did this with a a client last week, you know, and I do this with the women in the jail a lot, because, you know, people who have trauma when they're little, a lot of people, especially when in the jail, they don't have somebody, uncle, aunt, mom, dad, sister, somebody saying, oh, let's go to therapy or, you know, let's handle this. They just are in trauma and they are in that two-block area and that's all they have is trauma. So they don't have anybody shining a light saying, come over here, the water's fine. So they're just in trauma. And so, and I think all of us on some level are in our trauma until we have some awareness from the outside. Oh, there's something more. There's something different. There's something. And so at whatever point that that something comes to me, that there's, you know, the light comes on in my room, then I become, and I was struggling with this when I was trying to think of it, do I become responsible or accountable? I think then I become accountable because the light's on, and, I, and I, at that point I move into choice. Before that, I really didn't even really have a choice because I didn't know there was I didn't another know. choice. I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. I didn't know there was another choice. So I can't make a choice I'm not aware of. Once I know there is a choice, then I become accountable for making that choice. It's right. It's what we were, what we used, actually, three and a half years ago, back when we started the show, we went through this period where we were, um, saying quite often, using the line, ignorance is bliss. Ah, I mean, you know. Back to the day when I didn't know what I knew. That, right. If I didn't know, then, you know, I, I wouldn't feel bad when I didn't do it because I, right. I wouldn't know. Right. Or if I didn't know, I wouldn't know there was this choice or that there was a light if I would just turn to my right instead of my left. I, I wouldn't know. And so I would be okay, and I'd never feel guilty, and I'd never feel like I made a mistake because I would just be doing the best I know to do. Mm-hmm. But once you know and then you don't do, then you know you're not doing the best you could do. Right. And that doesn't feel good either. So it's like, okay, once you know there's no turning back, you can't say you don't know and you can't blame anybody can't else. Can't know. Yeah, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh, so many times I would like to unknow, unknow. unknow a few things. Unknow just this one little thing. Un- could I please unknow 
And, you know, that whole idea of, you know, choice being such a, such an amazing gift and such a, such a, uh, such a real kind of deep responsibility. You know, yeah. then I become responsible. <laughs> maybe it's, responsible. maybe I'm accountable and responsible at the same time. I think you can be. Because I couldn't think of what was it responsible or accountable, but it's probably both. At that line that I, the light goes on and I understand I'm living in choice. I become both responsible and accountable. I become responsible for my choices, and you can hold me accountable for my actions. For my actions. So, how do we get there from winter? I'm not certain, but well, I'm how sure do we get back made, to winter? I'm sure it made sense as we were going. Yeah, winter. Hmm. Ooh. I just had this thought about how sometimes people will say people who are elderly are in the winter of their lives. Ew. Like there will never be another spring. They're Ew. in the winter of their lives, and Ew. that is the end Ew. of things. Ew. And, yeah, that was my inner reaction, <laughs> like, oh. Is, is, are people going to start saying that about me? <laughs> over 60? Is that the, the winter? Oh, oh gosh. Life? Or does that only ha- doesn't happen until you're 85 or 90? And even then, then, of course, and you've heard me tell the story about my Uncle Paul, who at the age of 89 learned not only how to turn on a computer, but, you know, to use the Internet and to send email and he, of course, at 89, had never worked on a computer. He had typed because he was a, a broadcast journalist for a part of his life. Um, but he never, like, typed, typed, really. Right. But he, you know, he kind of knew a keyboard a little bit. And um, and so that really cemented, for, and that was 14 or 15 years ago, so that really cemented in my mind that, Truly, you are never too old, you know, to learn something new and to kind of be reborn, rebirthed, recreate who you are and who you think you are, right? You know, how you think of yourself. Um, Because he did that at 89, 90, 91. And so, yeah, but that phrase, that hearing some voice say, yeah, they're in the winter or they're like, (laughs) like with... (laughs) I'm so sorry for them. They're in the winter season of their life. No. I think the baby boomers are changing. The boomers' generation has completely changed that idea. Yes. That is that is a whole different topic, how the baby boomers really define everything that happens in America. And um, But the, the, the winter-symbolizing ending... Also, is sort of I don't know if, if that that plays against that that well the metaphysical idea that you know that 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 that's an important part of the process until we're enlightened. Do you think Eckhart Tolle has any dark nights of the soul? I think not. Eckhart Tolle. His dark night of the soul was so dark. dark. That he woke up enlightened. See, but see, I have had that dark of a night, and I should have Obviously been. Yeah, not. Totally. I should. Have been. 
Obviously, you have. I should have had it the Acartole. No, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> Obviously, you have it. Uh, you have and, no idea. As dark you have no idea. As as he has. I have a very high tolerance for dark. <laughs> <laughs> he had a very low tolerance for dark, I think. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. No more dark. Be None of what you ask totally. for. Mm. That would be really interesting um, to know, you know, like to meet people who are in his real inner circle if he has one. Mm-hmm. You know, those two or three people who really know him. Because, you know, he doesn't do a lot. In public, mm-hmm. he's very much. I wouldn't necessarily say a recluse, but he he is not out in the public eye very often. And even right. when he came out and did the New Earth series with Oprah, you know, the book wasn't new at that point. And he came out. He was very visible for three a months, few months, yeah. And then back behind the you door, haven't cold seen doors. or heard anything about Edgar Tolley. Since then, really, and so it'd be really interesting to see if, you know, I'd like to believe that secretly he's kicking the cat. No, say it isn't so. No, that secretly, secretly, that <laughs> privately he is living exactly the, you know, the enlightened life. But think about it: how easy it would be to live the enlightened life if you sold. Millions of books. <laughs> I heard you say there's a war. Well, that is just, you know, maybe. Look at Donald well, Trump, though. He is not living an yeah, enlightened life. <laughs> but he's out engaging with the craziness of the world, right? So if you've sold millions of or books and you have a home that she goes for and you mm-hmm. never have to, you don't, he lives a life of a, of a monk. Yes. He doesn't live in a monastery as far as we know. But he lives that very simple life. He doesn't engage with all the things that make everybody crazy every day. Lightning is going to strike your half of the room. And so, you know, I imagine... I believe in the Eckhart. I believe in him, too. (laughs) And I believe that he's able to maintain that Mm -hmm. because he's not lavish. He's not enamored with all of the toys and trinkets of the world. He's not trying to please anyone. He doesn't have to go to a job every day and respond to what that boss <laughs> wants. He's not out driving in traffic. Jeez. You know, all the things that trigger people. <laughs> that trigger you? No, that trigger people. people. Traffic doesn't usually trigger yeah. me. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. And he's not worried. His, his needs are met. He has the money to operate in the world, right, right that he needs. So, and when he, maybe when the money gets low, he calls Oprah and says, hey, let's do a series. Oh, no, that just sounds bitter. How <laughs> <laughs> you crossed over. Poor Eckhart. You well, don't no. Actually, I believe Oprah sought him out and, and convinced him that mm-hmm. this would be a way he could be of service in the world. I, I very, doubt very seriously that he actually called Oprah, but we'll never know. <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll never know. It's just that idea of, you know, so I'll compare. I think that Neil Donald Walsh had the same level of enlightenment, quote, unquote, that Eckhart Tolle did. 
The difference is Neil Donald Walsh continued to engage in the world and become this public figure and be he's very Neil. He's still doing like, and he started. He started or collaborated on a couple of different organizations and. His humanity team that he started, humanityteam.org, you know, created this Global Oneness Day, and he and Marianne Williamson, you know, have been done things together, and now Marianne Williamson is running for Congress. I think there's a this there's a different challenge when you're like trying to live it in the world. So Neil Donald Walsh has talked a lot about, yeah, I do know this stuff. I do get it, and I live it to the best of my ability. But he's out in the world every day getting triggered by all the same things that everybody else gets triggered. So, you know. I'm thinking you like him better. No, actually, I like them both equally. It's just a different way of showing up. Mm-hmm. You know, so Neil Donald Walsh has, I think, had another had a divorce, and you know, got married and got divorced. Uh, nothing. I know. He got married after he, you know, had the fame initially, got divorced, is now in a relationship with someone else. I believe they're married. Um, and when, when that happened, you know, people were like, well, how could your marriage didn't work out if you're living this stuff? And he, and he had a very practical answer. I don't remember, you know, I remember when he responded. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like, oh, wow, that would be so important. But it was practical. It was like you live these principles in the course of living in this world. It doesn't mean that you, if you're engaging in the world, it doesn't mean that life doesn't happen and all the stuff that people are doing doesn't happen unless you're not living in the world. And I think Eckhart Tolle says the same thing, except that he doesn't have the kind of drama because his daily life is not modeling how to live it in the world of crisis. Lightning. Lightning is coming down. Okay, so just an opinion, just one way to look at it. And so I saw a news article that said that they found what they believe to be the oldest Buddhist temple. Mm. And I had forgotten the story of Buddha. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. But that he was a prince. Yes. And then he went out and he created what we would suggest. He created his own dark night of the soul. Yes. Like he starved himself and he didn't have any clothing and he sat by a tree until he would experience enlightenment. Yes. <clears throat> so um, that makes me ponder if that the the way to enlightenment is you know seems to be through this dark night of the soul or this time of. So now see that puts me in a perilous state. Well, you've had plenty of enough dark nights of the soul. I I know. I think how wise I must be on some level. I just don't even understand how deeply wise I am. You're very wise. You're just not consistent. (laughs) It just comes and goes so quickly. (laughs) We can just hold on to it. It's like a little frog. We think we have it in our hands, and then it jumps out. Where'd it go? But, but, you know, it makes me in a perilous point because I have to ponder. Okay, now here's my Oprah. We can learn from joy. We can learn from joy. We can. Yes, so why did Buddha, why could Buddha not go out there and be enlightened amidst all of his riches and his kingdom? Actually, he was. 
That is not how the story goes. He had the joy of having all that he could have. But he wasn't the Buddha. And he had that horrible thing happen. It wasn't horrible to him. He went out and sat under the tree to gain knowledge. Ah. He didn't feel he was punishing ah, himself. It wasn't horrible to him. He didn't think it was horrible. Ah, interesting. He, he was experiencing, yes, by he choice. Was, he, he was making the choice. Right. He was choosing, mm. and he was on a path of learning. Mm. If he had learned everything he could learn from having everything that he had, mm. and there had to be that inner peace, right. that being away from all of the stuff. Uh-huh. But he wasn't seeing it as a drama uh-huh. or as a, you know. Now, his parents, on the other hand, the king was probably quite distraught. What is my son doing out there sitting under the tree, you know, sending the troops, go bring him, you know, go bring him home. Take him some oranges. Right. Give him some food, dude. Give him, he's in those, give, take him the prince's clothing. And he didn't refuse that, right? Uh-huh. So the king was probably having... The king was the one having the dark night mm-hmm. of the soul. Mm-hmm. This is not who I want him to be, who I've raised him to be. How is he going to take over uh-huh. this kingdom? This is not what princes do. What in earth is happening? My whole world is turned inside out, upside down. The king was probably having a dark night of the soul. But the time of Buddha was not. He was not. Right. Right. So we and can't always, always tell by looking at what somebody's going through. Yes. And I always ponder that about Jesus in terms of his choices and his knowing and his understanding of how what was happening around him mm-hmm. and and how that whole end of his life, we look at one way, and I think his experience was different than how we look at it. So that would make sense to me. Oh, yeah, and the, you know, in the Bible with Jesus saying, you know, basically, okay, God, I believe completely in you, your power, and you can make this stop now. <laughs> you don't you mind. Know, this whole crucifixion thing, you can, you can stop this now, okay? And if you don't, thy will be done. That, that non-resistance, that acceptance, that feels painful to the human experience, and if it's your will, I'm completely signed up for it. Yeah, changes, you know, the mind, the mind. Interesting. Winter. Yes, winter. So that's about all the time we have to explore winter (laughs) today. I'm glad you joined us, and um, please check out the list on the website for More than 180 shows that are archived, and until we meet again, say Say yes to spirit.
You sent me on intention. I like intention. We work with the women with intentions. Let's see if we've done intention. When was the last time we've done intention? Because we've done it. Yeah. Let's sort by alphabetical. Did you watch a movie called Cloud Atlas? That Tom Hanks, it's about past lives. Connections. Let's see. Let's guess that intention might be about page nine. There's she, you're pretty good. Uh, Too far. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. That's L's. Let's see what's at the top. Intuition. Oh, look at <laughs> You are. You got that whole savant. Intentions for 2012? Oh, uh, 2012. That's the only time. So January 2012. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense around that time. Maybe we should wait. Well, it's been two years. Oh, that's, yeah, that's true. Okay, let's do intention, actually. Intention. Anything else catch your eye? <laughs> the invitation, that's interesting. Invitation, sign me up, sign me up. That's that fabulous Oriya. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.